0: Welcome to Anecdotal Evidence, the podcast series sponsored by the American Institute of Dental Public Health. I'm your host, Annalise Cothran, and we're excited you're listening today. You may be wondering, what is Anecdotal Evidence about? Anecdotal Evidence is a public health-oriented podcast inviting leaders in oral health and public health to share their stories. We focus on topics like evidence-based practice, leadership, cultural responsiveness, mentorship, and collaboration, with the goal of having conversations with national leaders, inviting bold and innovative responses to emerging public health trends. We hope you'll keep listening as we explore more topics on public health this season. AIDPH exists to support the science and education of dental public health through programs and resources, particularly around leadership. That's why we invited Dr. Georges Benjamin and Dr. Katherine Hayes to talk to you about leadership in public health on today's episode. Dr. Georges Benjamin is the Executive Director of the American Public Health Association, the nation's oldest and largest organization of public health professionals. Holding previous positions within the state of Maryland, both in the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene and then as Deputy Secretary for Public Health Services, He actively practices public health at the local, state, and national level with expertise in areas of emergency preparedness, administration, and infectious diseases. Dr. Benjamin is also a fellow of the National Academy of Public Administration and a member of the Institute of Medicine of the National Academies. Dr. Katherine Hayes is a dual-certified professional, co-active coach, and Enneagram facilitator with a doctor of dental medicine from Tufts University. She is a highly regarded influencer in several arenas, having held leadership positions at Harvard, Tufts, and national and international organizations. Dr. Hayes routinely speaks about techniques for leaders and individuals to explore the personality types that drive behavior patterns so that they can overcome blocks, develop skills, and lead and live with more confidence and ease. Here's what Dr. Hayes and Dr. Benjamin had to say about public health leadership. Thank you, Kathy and Georges, for being here today to talk to us about leadership and specifically leadership skills and principles within public health. So what I'm interested in hearing from both of you to kind of start things off is what is your personal leadership style? So both of you are in public health and you certainly approach leadership and public health from a personal perspective. And I'd be interested if if you could provide us a summary of how you approach that. Uh, Catherine, why don't you start us off? Okay, I think my, you know, my
1: leadership style is one that's very collaborative. Um, I really really like to listen to what other people have to say and what their what their perspectives are. Um, I think it's really important for leaders to be good listeners and to be able to synthesize information and and put it forth in a way that's meaningful in terms of public health. So I would say I have a collaborative style and one that um, really encourages people to speak up. I really try to draw it out of people so that everyone has a voice because I really think that the synergy of the group often brings a greater sense of
0: wisdom forward. So I, I think if I were to describe it in a word, it would be collaborative. Collaboration. It sounds like diversity too. It sounds like diversity is really key in ensuring you can hear everybody's voices and they're represented. Absolutely. Great. Great, so Georgia, what do you think? What is your personal leadership style as you approach your work with APHA?
2: You know, I, I like to uh, set uh, broad goals, um, okay. set boundaries, um, get very good people and get out of their way and let them accomplish it. Um, I, I absolutely have ideas about where, what I think ought to get done and, um, and how they ought to do it, um, but I don't particularly care how they do it as long as the goal gets met um, within those boundaries. And I spend a lot of time expanding or narrowing boundaries um, as my way of trying to channel the project or whatever it may be um, to its ultimate goal. So I like to start that role.
0: Yeah. You know what you just said reminds me of the book Multipliers. I'm not sure if either of you have read that book, but the premise of the book is that you know, the best leaders are not geniuses, they're genius makers. So the best leaders are the ones who can identify the good in other people and bring them together toward the common goal. Is is that what I'm hearing you say?
2: Uh, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I learned a long time ago um, that uh, it's really, really tough to do the work yourself. Yes. Um, and and uh, the more people you can get around that have a, a shared vision, goal, objective, um without you meddling in the process um, the much more likely you are to get it done
0: yes i like that i like that what i love about that too is that it's
1: empowering for the team it's empowering for the group because it allows them to shine and show their best and and also i think that it's such an important skill for a leader to know how to delegate and to ask for help because as georgia said none of us can do it all alone and the ability to be able to ask for help and to delegate has so many benefits, and it's essential, I think, to a good leadership.
0: I found this definition from the Canadian Public Health Association for defining leadership. In the field of public health, leadership relates to the ability of an individual to influence, motivate, and enable others to contribute toward the effectiveness and success of their community and their organization in which (coughs) they work It involves inspiring people to craft and achieve a vision and goals. Leaders provide mentoring, coaching, and recognition. They encourage empowerment and allowing other leaders to emerge. So frankly this sounds a lot like what the both of you have already said it seems to really underscore both of your personal leadership styles but i think what strikes me in how i look at leadership now and what i hear from leaders now is that we are moving away from a more traditional thought process of leadership that they are managers and that they are task you know they are task oriented and that it's all about getting the projects done And rather, leadership is about contribution and mentoring and coaching toward a broader vision. So Catherine, is that how you're seeing that trajectory of leadership going?
1: I I definitely agree with that. And I think that's a beautiful comprehensive definition that you just read as well. There's a um, really interesting report. You know, the Gallup organization has been um, following American companies and organizations for decades. And their most recent report came out in 2017. And one of the things that was really striking from that report was that the workers, the team members, feel disengaged from their organization. They don't feel that they know the direction that they're headed in, et cetera. And one of the major findings of the report was not only is that costing companies a lot of money, and I translated that into public health, not really getting us to our mission, is that the culture needs to change from a more directive culture, as you were mentioning, a more micromanaging culture, to a more empowering culture, And, and more coaching to bring out the best in people rather than like performance improvement plans to kind of shut people down. So I think this movement toward empowerment and when I teach uh, leadership, I often give some definitions historically as well as definitions from current leaders and you can actually even feel that shift from the more managerial style of leadership to the more empowering style of leadership and I definitely feel more aligned with the more empowering style.
0: So you feel like that shift is happening, the culture shift is happening, and, and we just are here, we're here for it, right? I do feel it's happening, and I do feel
1: that not everyone is prepared for it. So I think it's really helpful that people really learn when they step into a leadership role, really learn about what makes a good leader. And really, it's about who you are, and it's about bringing your best self forward so you can help others bring their best self forward.
0: So, George, how does how does APHA and how do you and your leadership style with APHA? Would you would you say that that APHA and you as a leader within APHA provides that more visionary perspective?
2: Well, I think I think you've got to, It's important to recognize that um, it, um, public health is a team sport, and APHA is is the ultimate example of the breadth of people's interest goals, directions, um, um, in in terms of what they do. You know, we have over 30 different occupations that are represented um, in public health, um, and APHA represents all of them. That also means that each one of them, if every one of them have two or three goals and objectives in life, you have an enormous number of goals and objectives. So part of my job is to basically, as they say, herd the cats. Um, (laughs) You know, and, and in doing that, you have to remember that it's, that leadership is different from command.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: person in charge may or may not be the leader. Um, and to that end, a lot of leadership is about influence. Um, it's not necessarily about you having the legal authority or the responsibility um, for a particular um, activity. It, it is about, you know, again, recognizing that something needs to get done, and figuring out how that's going to happen and that may very well occur with the, p- the person who is paid and on the org chart has the ultimate responsibility it may also occur at any level um, either around that organization or more more commonly uh, a different organization which has to manage you know sideways and across to actually get a get a goal accomplished and APHA is a an enormous example of an organization that does a lot of its work through influence.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I hear you bringing up the concept really of, of multi-directional leadership. That it's not that management is a piece of leadership because at some point when you are in a position of authority, you have to worry about projects getting done and funding coming in. But that's not the entire thing. What I'm when I'm hearing from you is that APHA pretty actively engages in this multi-directional leadership where you're leading up. You're leading down and you're leading horizontally.
2: That, that's right. You have to separate management from leadership mm-hmm. uh, and, and the work and actually managing a project from seeing that it happens, creating the vision, um, bringing the people together so that they work in a harmonious, you know, in a, uh, uh, in a way that's collaborative, um, getting the harmony that's necessary to move a project forward and far, far too often, um, that is, uh, involves people for which you do, have, do not have direct control, Right. Um, command and control.
0: I'm going to bring up uh, a, a report that I'm sure you both have read or know about. Um, and I've been using this as a rubric for how we can approach leadership. And that's uh, Public Health 3.0, which was authored by Karen DeSalvo. So she talks about how public health leaders should embrace the role of a chief health strategist. And she defines this as working with all relevant partners so that they can drive initiatives, including those that explicitly address upstream social determinants of health. And so she talks about how leadership is not just about management and vision, but it's also about strategy and how we don't have enough of this in public health. So Catherine, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's really important to for a leader to, again, in a collaborative way, develop that strategy, too, because, again, none of us have all the answers. But really, collaboratively developing that vision and really making sure you have a comprehensive input into what your strategy is going to be, because with that comprehensive input, you tend to be able to foresee perhaps some of the roadblocks and barriers that might come along and therefore you you have a strategy already built in to deal with those so again the uh, the ability to really be very inclusive at all stages um, allows for a much more I believe comprehensive and more likely to be successful strategy and that's going to give us a much more impactful opportunity right know, and that's what we're looking for right yeah absolutely
2: <laughs> And, you know, I would agree that um, with everything Kathy said, and, and I let me add to that, you know, being the chief health strategist is a mindset. Um, you have to decide that if it hurts people or kills people, it's yours. Um, important because if you don't have that fundamental understanding, then you're very likely not to take on issues that hurt people and kill people to which you may have enormous influence. So that includes moving for public health, moving way upstream, you know, looking at the built environment, looking at climate, looking at um, the way people think about things, helping people understand health literacy. Um, a lot of the things that we know are fundamental to, to good health um, that occur outside the doctor's office requires leadership. It also recognizes the fact that most of the things we do are done through policy. Um, and Deal with policy. That means you have to deal with politics, and often we run like like the devil away from political activities, realizing that all politics is is the art of influencing people.
0: That was a perfect way to describe that. I know. Um, I know. APHA does a lot of policy work, so it sounds like the role of the chief health strategist. Is really to leverage your resources effectively toward promoting the upstream, um, the upstream effects that are going to really move the needle.
2: There's no question about that, and you know, I mean, I love to spend other people's money.
0: Uh, <laughs> Same. And my goal is
2: to try to get them to spend money in a way that leverages uh, a healthy a healthy community.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, and one thing that is is emphasized in this report is that specialized public health training should be available for the public health workforce and public health students. And so it really does bring up this question of where can they get the training? And then how can we effectively disseminate that kind of training? So Georges, where do you how do you think this can be developed, this very strategic mindset? How can it be developed? And then how can it be effectively communicated and disseminated to the public health workforce so that we can build our chief health strategists?
2: Well, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of money with leadership programs. And I'm always challenged about some of those because we've really not built a comprehensive structure to, to both train better managers and to train better leaders. Um, We far too often, the people that get the leadership training are people that are already leaders. um, And you aren't really reaching in to build this pipeline of leadership. Um, And what happens, of course, as you know, is that today, you are a clinician, um, or a, um, uh, a lower level program director, and all of a sudden, tomorrow, you're in the deep end of the, you're in charge. Right, and we don't you know we don't grab those people um and prepare them way before they are thrown into that end of the pool. um they tend to do well because the people that tend to get put in those jobs most of the time um do okay um but they but they often don't have they may have good leadership skills, but they may not have good management skills. What I mean by that is they may not have the the human resource or people management skills uh, because they've never managed anybody right you know they may not have the budgetary skills, Um, not because they're going to draw up a budget, but they have to be able to oversee the budget. And uh, again, we haven't given them the, you know, they may have, they may even have the technical skills, but they really haven't figured out how to use those skills to to manage a project and move an agenda forward. And we may not have given them the opportunity to be visionary. How do you do that? Um, we, We need to have, um build a pipeline with deliberation we need to build leadership and management training at every level along the way at least in our governmental public health systems uh, we need to continue to make a strong argument with elected leaders and policymakers that spending money on training is essential because as you know that's the first to go when budgets get tight
0: yes Absolutely. one. Well, and I'm hearing you say, too, you have to start early. And I know that, Catherine, you work a lot with students and building their leadership potential and emphasizing that, that public health-driven leadership. And so how do you take, you know, sort of building on what Georges has just said, how do you take that and implement that for a future public health workforce?
1: Yeah, sure. I totally agree with what you're saying, George, about you know people kind of getting thrown into that deep end. And often, people are promoted because of their skills and their abilities, which is wonderful. But we don't learn how to kind of manage ourselves so that we can manage people. And it come, starts with, I think, managing ourselves. I think the more we can give them kind of real-world scenarios in their training, the better prepared they are. Um, I'll just give you an example of one, one exercise that I do with the students. I I don't know if you've heard of this book, it's a very popular book, but it's called The Four Agreements. And the book, um, I read it probably when it came out 20 years ago, and when I was a department chair, I gave it to all my faculty, and as a professor, I gave it to all my students. And when I was in leadership training, it was a book that we were all given. And these four agreements are, the first one is be impeccable with your word, use your word to speak the truth, and no gossip. Second one is don't take things personally. And I give the students a scenario where I have some students um, role play as legislators, and other students role play as community advocates trying to advocate for community water fluoridation. And I ask the students who are the advocates to be very—I mean, who are the legislators? Excuse me—to be quite, you know, rude and belligerent to the advocates and interrupt them and tell them they're wrong. And and then I have the students who are the advocates really see how that feels because. To be a public health leader you have to be able to take the the barbs and all that and still be able to deliver a message that's meaningful so i think one of the things that's so important in leadership training is for people to develop the the inner kind of um landscape to be able to handle uh things that are coming at you and not get off course
0: yeah and i know that both of you are in both macro level leadership positions, where you have a lot of oversight, but that you also work uh, one-on-one mentoring and coaching and things like that, or that are integral to, uh, to leadership development. And so I'm interested to hear your perspectives and what you think is currently missing within our public health leadership. You know, where is that gap? And if you have any ideas, how do we fill it? So Georges, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this first
2: you know i have program directors that come in who've done a really great job of looking at their budgets and i have others who have done frankly an abysmal job of putting down their budget you know they just kind of take last year's budget you know and then kind of mark it up a little bit and send it in um and it's a must it's a missed opportunity you know for them to say hey this is what i would like my program to look like next year right i uh, just going to do the same thing and so that for me is a an example excellent example of a. A, a, a lost leadership opportunity.
0: Yeah. And, and co- what you're saying too reminds me of, I, I was just having a conversation with a colleague actually that uh, I think in society right now, we really struggle with allowing people to fail. We really, really struggle with allowing people to mess something up because that's a growth mindset. To prepare yourself to fail and learn from it is the mindset that we need to be in. And so what I'm hearing you say is that leaders, one should promote that, gro- that growth mi- growth mindset. And that leader should also help that when they see someone fail, that they need to promote that as a teaching experience, as a learning experience, and not as a gross failure you know, that you leverage those opportunities that you're saying, these missed opportunities, well, great, as a leader, we need to come in there and leverage those missed opportunities.
1: I totally agree with that. I'm so glad you brought up that point about failure. I think we need to value failure as much as success because we learn so much from failure. And I just wrote a blog on on this for the Forbes Coaches Council and that actually the science shows that uh, making mistakes enhances the neuroplasticity of the brain. And think about it, whenever we make a mistake, don't we learn so much from that mistake? So if we can take that as an opportunity, and I love what, what George said, is that, you know, yes, everyone gets their reviews and their performance analysis, that kind of thing. But really, in the moment, if we have the opportunity to work with someone who's struggling with something, whether it's managing an individual or, like you said, George's with their budgets, it's an opportunity to, to mentor them. And what I love about, you know, AIDPH is that you have this mentoring program. I think mentoring is so important. I just read an article about it um, in the New York Times last week, and I unfortunately lost a dear mentor this week. And the article was saying that if you want to live on in the lives of others, be a mentor. Yes. You know, I I remember my mentors. I hold them dear. And I really... um, integrated what they taught me and it always came from a place of integrity and kindness and not shaming and belittling. You know, uh, mentoring is so important and I think that there's such an opportunity in public health right now for those of us who have been through kind of the, the mill to mentor those who are coming up in the ranks because you can learn so much from an individual that you can't learn in a book. Right. Or in a classroom.
0: Right. Know? Right. And it's about, it's about that experience piece that's missing that George has just mentioned, you know, that gap is experience and experience can come with time, but it can also come with a lot of help, that direct mentoring and coaching. Exactly. So I think about, when I think about what's potentially missing in leadership right now, what always comes to my mind, and this is leadership in public health, but leadership probably across the board is diversity. And I think we are now paying a lot more attention to ensuring that more voices are heard. Um, I know we just had a a major shift politically, and it, it appears as though a lot of our elected officials are bringing a lot more diverse perspectives. And so my question is, how do we keep cultivating that in public health? We know that diversity and that new voices bring change and success. And so how can we continue to cultivate that in our public health leaders? Catherine, what do you think?
1: Well, I think this goes back to what we were talking about with strategy. We need to have a very wide inclusion in all that we do in public health. If we wanna be impactful in the population, we need to reflect the population ourselves and to learn from that. Um, I I can give an example. I grew up, I spent the first 22 years of my life uh, living in public housing projects in South Boston. And I have a different perspective than those colleagues of mine who didn't have that background. And I bring a different perspective in. And I think that the more we can uh, really make public health appealing to the new generation, to show them the impact they can make in their communities, and uh in, in areas that may have been intractable. I think, for example, you know, access to dental care. It is there, I think there are so many hidden barriers that we still don't understand. And it's not just about increasing the number of providers. There's still a very large number of the population that doesn't come in. We need to f- understand that better. And I think the only way we're gonna understand these things better is to have a very broad and diverse public health workforce.
0: So it's about ensuring that we're cultivating leaders within communities and seeking out those leaders so that they can, uh, they can flow into uh dental public health workforce. And then when as a patient, as a student, I'm able to look and see people in leadership positions who think like I do, who look like I do, who share that same, those same values that I have, then that can, can promote my entry into the public health workforce.
1: Exactly. And it goes back to mentoring.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Georges, I know that APHA does a lot of work around diversity and cultivating diverse leadership. So how have you been able to effectively do that through your organization?
2: Well, diversity has been a core value of APHA since its founding in 1872. From the fact that we had a diverse uh, group of people that came together across disciplines to create APHA, is not assumed because you are um, of a particular, you, because you look a certain way or because you are of a certain gender or, or a sexual orientation, that you therefore bring all the knowledge of that group, that represented yeah. oh. to the table. And I gotta tell you, my best example of this was when I was a state health official in, I'm sorry, a city health official in Washington, D.C., I was a city health commissioner and I was having a discussion with one of the members of the city council, and we were talking about the experience of kids who lived in Washington, DC. And I frankly, at that time, I, you know, I grew up in, 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 in a middle-class family in Chicago, certainly had an experience, but I had no understanding that there were kids in Washington, DC um, who had never been to the airport. Reagan National Airport mm-hmm. in a 10 square miles. Um, they lived in communities where they had never, ever been to the airport. And um, you know, I just obviously assumed the kids had been all over the city, but of course they hadn't. They lived in an enclave, and, you know, going downtown to central Washington, D.C. was an adventure. Um, going across the river to Northern Virginia, where the airport is, um, was, um, a whole new cultural experience. And, um, there's a longer story to that, but the point was, you know, as an African-American, um, health official with an MD with no understanding of how kids that lived in the poorest part of the town, um, lived. Right. That was an eye-opening experience to me.
0: So I know we have talked about the trajectory of leadership, how we sort of, this very traditional thought of leadership that was more management focused, more task focused, and now we have a better understanding that leaders who have a broader vision, a broader strategy are going to be more effective. So as I'm thinking about this trajectory, I, I know this might be a difficult question to answer, but I'm curious to hear where do you think is the future of public health leadership? Where do you think we're heading now as we as we move into this more visionary phase? Where is the future going for public health leadership? Catherine, what do you think?
1: Well, what I would love to see is for us to, like in our public health training programs, for us to put as much emphasis on leadership as we do on uh, biostatistics, for example. And I say that as a former uh, course director of biostatistics, you know, no dissing there, but leadership qualities and and developing people's leadership skills is just as important as the rigor that's brought to the the didactic um, work, so I think that um, we, it behooves us to develop good leaders. We must do it if we're going to be impactful and if we're going to continue to make a difference in society, and we know all of us in public health know what we're up against. There's a, a kind of there's a, a war on science. It was a national geographic issue a few years ago with the title The War on Science, the whole debate against vaccines, fluoride, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to be able to cultivate individuals who are able to
0: provide scientific information in a meaningful way? Yeah, so it sounds like leadership and communication, I and mean, from your perspective, it really underscores all of the other things. So we can be a good biostatistician, but if we can't deliver those results effectively and in a meaningful way that our population understands, then it doesn't really matter. You know, we can be really good at time management, but if we can't really effectively cultivate leadership and vision for a project, then the time management piece doesn't matter.
1: Mm -hmm. I think one of the great successes in public health recently that we're all familiar with is the Back to Sleep campaign. You know, the research was that uh, laying an infant on their belly to sleep was increasing the likelihood of SIDS. And so this research was translated into practice, into public health policy, into messaging. And Within the first five years, there was a 30% decline in the prevalence of SIDS. That's a public health success. And so it really is about how do we how do we frame messages how do we deliver messages? how do we change the behavior of the public to improve their health? And that comes from a lot more than just understanding the didactic information. That's a must that's an absolute foundation but we have to broaden our training so it includes these other things as well.
0: right. So, so, George asked, what, th- what do you think about the future of public health leadership? We need, we need more training. We need, we need better training in leadership and communication. What, what else is missing, or where do you think we're going?
2: Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that we ought to also point out is that the leaders are going to come from a very different place than they came from in the past. So we're going to see people who historically have not thought of themselves as practicing public health in the past um but absolutely do public health work as some part of their work so you know people that are um, doing zoning and people in the the kind of the old green environmental movement um, uh, people who are uh, first responders that have historically not thought of themselves doing public health uh and more of that the other thing we're going to have because of the undergraduate training now that we have in public health We're going to have a whole cadre of people who um, got a degree as an undergraduate or took a substantive number of courses in public health who then end up in law and engineering and architecture. But now have this population based focus to their lives um, and a mission to help the public that are going to go into those occupations and probably change the world. And so, we're going to see these leaders that come out of other disciplines that now want to collaborate with the more traditional public health folks, the folks that are either come from medicine and nursing into public health, um, health education, the statisticians, the bioticians, the folks that went and got a, a master's degree uh, or doctorate in, in a public health discipline. Um, and you're now going to see a different kind of conversation occurring across these disciplines.
0: Well, I want to thank you both for being here today. And before we wrap up, I'd like to get just any last minute thoughts on public health and leadership. I think we've had a really wonderful conversation. I personally am coming away with a lot on my mind and a lot to think about and how I want to implement uh, my role in public health. But I wanted to give you guys one last opportunity to sort of summarize any thoughts that you have on public health leadership, the future, filling the gaps, collaboration. We have a lot of these common themes. Uh, So, Catherine, is there anything that you want to end us uh, with today? Well, I think the importance of
1: mentoring and providing real-world opportunities to those who are um, coming into their roles in public health and to really give them some real-time feedback on and helping them developing their ability to be a leader and have the greatest impact that they can have. So, I think mentoring encompasses so much of what we talked about today, and the more we can step into uh, mentoring our roles ourselves and encourage others, the more we're going to embrace a lot of these principles that we've talked about today.
0: Right, right. And Georges, what about you? What are your your parting thoughts that you'd like to leave us with?
2: I think it's recognizing that we're in this society that is very divided today and realize that everybody, despite their political perspective, their ideological perspective, wants food that's safe to eat, water that's safe to drink, and air that's safe to breathe, and a community that's safe and nourishing for their kids. So we have a common bond and leaders ought to recognize that we have that common bond as we move our nation forward.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Anecdotal Evidence with Dr. Georges Benjamin and Dr. Katherine Hayes. I know I enjoyed interviewing them. Tune in next time for more thought leaders weighing in on public health topics. But before you go, hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform and give us some feedback on today's episode. You can also learn more about the AIDPH leadership opportunities at our website, www.aidph.org. I'm your host, Annalise Cothran, and I'll see you next time.